You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. I'm glad you guys are here with us, for certain. Uh, I think I know everyone else, yes. Uh, so we are, we are continuing our study of 1 John this evening. Uh, this series is called Simple Truths, uh, as I've said a thousand times, because John writes to us basic truths of the faith that we need reminded of day in and day out because the people of God are quick to forget uh, even the most simple basic things of our faith. Um, Last week we saw how John was uh, tying all three of his tests together, right? A a big thing about John's letter, 1 John, is um, assurance of salvation. How do you know you're actually a Christian? And those three tests are uh, the test of faith. You have to believe rightly about Christ and the gospel. Uh, obedience, you must uh, walk faithfully in, uh, in obedience to the commands of God uh, and repentance when you sin. And uh, the third test being the love test. Those who have been born again love their fellow believers. Uh, but last week we saw uh, John tie all of those tests together in a few verses. Uh, but he was focusing mainly on obedience to God's commands and how obedience to God is linked together with love for God and love for our fellow Christians. Uh, but this week, John is going to start giving more attention to faith, right? And when we talk about faith, we're talking about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So John's kind of going around this corner, going into faith more, but keeping the other, uh, keeping the other tests still in his mind. Uh, But this evening, specifically, we're going to be talking about how the believer overcomes the world by faith. Right? And just a personal note, studying this this past week has been a really, really big encouragement to me uh, because something I think that we're prone to at Revolution, uh, something that we're prone to in this church is that we focus so much of our attention on our depravity, right? Do we not? We talk about all the time, I'm a depraved sinner, I, 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 can't, I can't keep the law perfectly, right? We focus a lot on our depravity and that's a good thing. We need to have a proper view of man if we're going to properly understand God uh, and his gospel, But I think sometimes we focus so much on our inability to perfectly keep the law that we forget that we are indeed overcomers, right? I'm prone to that myself big time. Focus on my depravity and not think of, like, I I am indeed a saint. I am indeed a converted person. I have indeed been born again. I am an overcomer through Christ. Uh, But something I've noticed uh, in studying the Bible is that God, he does this a, a lot through the scriptures. He will tell his people what they are. Right? He'll tell us what we've been made into, right? what he's transformed us into, and then the call from there is for us to go out and be what God has already said that we are. Right? Like Paul says in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, he says, you are unleavened. Right? You're unleavened bread. Yeast is symbolic of sin. He says, you're unleavened. Now get the leaven out of your life. <laughs> right? So he declares what you are and then says, go and be what God has said you already are. And that might seem kind of strange to us. Uh, But if we take seriously what God has decreed over his people, uh, we will find strength and the grace to see that in our lives, what God has decreed. Um, So this is a really positive message from John. Uh, If you're a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus and you're walking with him daily in faith and repentance, this is an incredibly uh, positive message. Um, But if you're not a believer then this, this message really isn't for you because you're a slave to the world and you cannot overcome anything, really. 
You can't overcome anything of spiritual, eternal significance because you're a slave to sin and a child of the wrath of God. But there's hope extended to you through Christ, through faith in his atoning work for us. Uh, but my thesis statement for this evening is this. So here's the big idea. Here's what we're driving at. And then after this, we'll go into the text. The believer overcomes whatever would draw us away from God. And we overcome, we conquer by our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right, so that's where we're driving at. But with that being said, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. And as the Lord Jesus prayed, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. For the believers that are gathered here, I pray that we would become a holier people after looking into the truth that we are overcomers. Please help us to be attentive uh, to the word that we would uh, let it dwell richly in our heart, that we would receive it by faith uh, and be transformed uh, from one degree to another into the likeness of Christ. And if there are any unbelievers here with us, I pray that they would see their sin, see their slavery to the world, and yearn for freedom that is theirs in Christ Jesus if they repent and believe. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John starts out verse 4, or 4a. We're going to be dividing this up a, a little bit. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. All right, so John starts off by saying that the person born of God overcomes the world. This is a really powerful thought. Right? And, it, and because that's such a powerful statement, you overcome the world if you've been born of God, we need to understand what John means by world. This is going to set the tone for the, the whole rest of how we understand these verses. What does John mean by world? And because I like to, to be a little bit uh, contrary and fight, I think it's, it's easier to start with what John doesn't mean. Right? So what John doesn't mean, he is not saying that overcome the world means that you can do whatever you set your mind to. That's not what John's saying here. All right? He is not saying that you can hit the home run right, or score the touchdown or get the promotion, right, get the corner office. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you can find a spouse and get the thing that you want because you're a Christian. That's not what he's saying whenever he says overcome the world. I've seen people take this verse and, and just take it way out of context just like they do Philippians 4.13, right? Anyone else, is that a pet peeve of yours? That's, that's for me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Right, and then you see people with that, like on like their basket or baseball jersey, and then they strike out, and it's the funniest thing in the world because apparently you can do everything but hit a home run. Um, come on, that was that was funny. Um, but yeah, so Philippians four thirteen, right? That, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about I can be content, right? I can be content whenever I'm suffering, and I can be content whenever I have abundance because I know Christ, and Christ gives me strength to to remain godly no matter what I'm going through in my life, right? But that's not, that's not what John is saying here. He's not saying that you can do whatever you set your mind to because you're a Christian. Uh, other people can take these words and try to apply them to the political realm. Right? Both sides of the aisle. I'm not playing that game tonight. I'm not talking about politics. But people 
People can take these words that we overcome the world and, and try to make them mean Christians overcome the world by destroying their political enemies and setting up a theocracy. Right? I've seen some people try to take this verse and do that. We overcome the world. We're going to Christianize the world. And this verse is a promise of our victory, that Christians are going to have earthly dominance. Right? But no, not, not this side of the return of Christ will Christians have earthly dominance. Jesus Christ himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. Right? So it's not a political promise that we will Christianize the whole world and everything's going to go smooth for us because we're going to overcome, and it's not saying that you can do whatever you set your mind to. If we look at the context, I think we can see what John is talking about. If you go up just to verse, uh, in verse 3, the last sentence, he says, God's commandments are not burdensome, right? His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, Right? So John links overcoming the world with obedience to God's law not being a burden for the Christian, which I think tells us, gives us some insight into what John means by world. So if he connects overcoming the world with obedience to God's law, I think that we can define world like this. The world is sin at work around us. Right, whenever John talks about the world, he's, mentioned, he's done it once before, or a few times before in this letter. What John's referring to is that rebellious world system that is opposed to God. It's opposed to God. It's opposed to God's truth. It's opposed to God's Christ, God's law, opposed to God's gospel. Right, so the world, more simplified, the world in this context is anything that would draw us away from faithfulness to God. Anything that would draw you away, that would tempt you to sin or tempt you to abandon Christ. Now, keeping that idea of the world, right? Anything that would draw us away from faithfulness to God. I think we, we can divide world into two categories, right? Internal and external. The world within and the world without. All right, so let's, let's, let's break those down. Whenever I'm talking about the internal world, what I mean by that is your sinful nature, Right? So though the Christian has indeed been given a new nature by God that brought us to faith in Christ, we've been given this new holy nature, we still have, in the words of the Puritans, remaining corruptions. Right? We still have indwelling sin within us that needs dealt with. Right? So I'm not trying to be dreary. The, the sin nature has been mortally wounded by the person and work of Christ. Right? The flesh, our sinful nature, will die, but it does not fully die until we do. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know what I'm talking about, right? The sin nature is not dead until you're dead, and then you're sealed in glory. So th this internal world are those internal temptations to sin, right? And it always makes me laugh. People, like, try to blame all of their sins on the devil, like, the devil made me do it, and I don't know about you guys, but I don't need help to sin, right? Like, I can do that just on my own. I don't really need anyone to, like, hey, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I have, actually. Before you even said that, I thought about doing that. Uh, like just this past week, I had to get my wife's car fixed, and I thought about committing insurance fraud. I didn't, um, <laughs> right? But like, I didn't need anyone. Thank you, Mark. I, I talked to Mark. I was like, couldn't I do this? He's like, David, you're better than that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on. Now, uh, now that you all think a lot less of me, that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I know. The insurance company's going to listen to this sermon. Maybe they'll get converted. I don't know. Um, anyhow. Right? But we don't need help to sin. We have this sin nature that tempts us. Right? It's, it's, it's within us. That internal world or, or those impulses to sin without anyone or anything prompting us to do so. 
right? Like someone offends you at church, and you want to hate them, and no one has to tell you to hate that person. It just comes out. Something doesn't work the way that you want it to work, right? Like your phone doesn't work or something like that, and you just want to explode and chuck it across the room. In general, what I'm getting at is this, this internal sinful nature. Something happens, and you want to respond in sin, and no one had to tell you to do that, right? So there's an internal world that we have to deal with in overcoming the world, and then there's also the external world, and that's the sinful world around us, and this is pretty easy to see, right? The external world world of sin and temptation. This, this could be the social ostracism um, that comes with living faithfully to Christ, right? Where you lose friends over the truth of the word, where you anger family members whenever you confront them with their sin and implore them to repent and believe the gospel, where you lose your job. We've seen this happen in America already, where you lose your job because of faithfulness to Christ, where you lose your business because of faithfulness to Christ. All of this because you won't compromise on the truth of God's word. Because you're living faithfully. Right? And that social ostracism from the world brings temptation to us that we would sit down and shut up whenever we should be openly living out our faith and speaking at appropriate times. Right? Could be that. Could be that kind of social ostracism that we see in America. Or... Temptation from the world, right, this world that needs overcome externally could be the violent persecution that we see our brothers and sisters dealing with globally. Where because of someone's faith in Christ, they're told, your faith or your life, your faith or the life of your wife and children. And in that moment, you better believe that those people are tempted to abandon the faith entirely and go back to a life of paganism. Or the external world could be, and this is huge, this is huge for us, because again, we're not being violently persecuted really in the United States, but I think this is one of the biggest ones for us. The normalizing of sin. The normalizing of sin that is so prevalent in our world. Our culture calls us to celebrate and enjoy the things that God hates. To entertain ourselves with the things that God threw his wrath on his son for. To indulge in things that God has explicitly stated in his word, he despises. And in sin being so normalized in our culture, this tempts us to go with the flow and allow sin into our lives and think that a little bit of sin, a little bit of worldliness is acceptable and that it's not a big deal because it's normal. This is just what people do. Right? But for all of this that would draw us away, whether it be internal or external, or anything that would draw us away from God, John says, whoever is born of God overcomes. Overcomes. Now, that word overcome has the Greek root word nike, right? which I thought this was really cool because I'm dumb and never thought about it before. Nike, right? Like legit, like this, the, the sports company Nike, nike, it comes from the Greek word. It means victory or to conquer. That's that root word for overcome is, is nike, to conquer something, to have victory over something. So John says to us in this verse that the believer conquers or has victory over everything that would draw us away from God. And again, John has holiness in mind here. He has sanctification in mind here. That's why we read uh, that bit of the confession today about sanctification, that someone who's been born again strives for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. All right, so he's saying here that the believer conquers sin, conquers temptation, conquers the devil. Now let me make a, a, a note here in light of that. 
To conquer something implies a battle. To conquer something implies a battle. If you're going to conquer something, you will be met with opposition. And if we're going to conquer sin, if we're going to conquer temptation from the world, within and without, internally and externally, there will be much opposition. It will be a fight. You will not enter into the Christian life and then just lay about. That's not what happens. There is a battle to be fought. But those who have been born of God, those who have been born again of the Holy Spirit, have been born to fight. I want to encourage you with this stuff. You have been born to fight, Christian. You have been born to wage war on whatever would keep you from your God. So let me say this. Just in light of that, and I always feel like this, this needs said, where there is no battle then, where there is no battle against the world, there has been no new birth. And where there is no new birth, there has, no, there has been no salvation. If there is no battle against the world in you and the world out there, you have not been converted. You may be religious, but you are not a Christian. You still abide under the wrath of God. But there must be a warring spirit within us if we're saved. And just let me say this, just to keep it real with you. Many people say, tell me, I've heard, I've heard this, I've, I've said this, I've used this, I struggle with this or that sin. Right? We hear that a lot. I struggle with this, I struggle with anger, I struggle with pornography, I struggle with this and that. But there is no struggle. But there is no struggle. Oftentimes saying, I struggle with this sin is just Christian talk, for I do this sin a lot. If we're just going to be honest, that's what it is a lot of the times. And I'm not saying that's every time. I'm not saying that. Sometimes someone's really talking about, I am actively in the fight against this sin. So check your own hearts on that next time you open your mouth to say, I struggle with this. Are you just saying that because that's an acceptable way to admit that you really enjoy this sin to fellow Christians? Or are you actually saying, I fight my sin? I actually wrestle with it. That's what struggle implies. I'm trying to choke this thing to death. And it gets the best of me sometimes, so we're rolling around on the floor, but it's a fight. What do you mean when you say that? But there must be a battle in our hearts and lives against sin if we are saved. But the Christian does indeed look to conquer sin every day. Right? Just let, me let me encourage you with this. If you're a Christian, you know this. We go looking for sin. In our lives, it's what we do. We go looking for it. Daily, we reflect on our thoughts and words and action and actions of the day, throughout the day, things that we've done in the past, seeking to find the sin. Where did I contradict the law of God? Where did I, where did I think wrongly? Where did I speak wrongly? What did I do that, that, that violated God's standard for people that have, He has brought into His kingdom? And we seek out that sin so we can kill it. Not just so we can say, yeah, man, I kind of dropped the ball on that one, but so we can kill the sin. We fight daily against the world's temptation. We weigh everything that we're told and see, whether it be in media or, or, or whatever, from unbelievers that we're in conversations with. We weigh everything that we, we are told, everything that we hear against the Bible. And even whenever something sounds good and fair and a righteous thing to us, we go back and say, what has God said? But what has God said? We weigh everything against the scriptures. And after doing that, we then reject the deception and lies of the world 
as it contradicts the word of God and we embrace the truth of Scripture. In short, whenever it ta- I'm talking about what we're, we're receiving from the world, we are a people who always have a filter on. Right? We're like soldiers in a war. We may go out amongst the other people, but we are always on guard. Always on guard. And we fight this daily fight. We wage the the warfare against the world because we know this. And please hear me on this, especially if you're fighting with some besetting sin. We continue to fight because we know that God did not save us so that we would remain the same. God did not save us so that we would remain the same. Right? We have been saved. This is so, so big. And I forget this sometimes. We have been saved not only from the penalty that is due to us from our, from our sins, but we have been saved from the power of sin in our lives. Right? Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what Christ did for us. Not just the penalty of sin. It's not just I'm saved from the wrath of God, but I'm saved from the power of sin. This is why we fight. Now I'm going to make another note on overcoming. To overcome, please don't misunderstand me, to overcome does not imply sinlessness. Thank God. (laughs) Or this text would be of no consolation to us, and it would just beat us uh, down into the ground. To overcome does not imply sinlessness. John has already established that true Christians still sin. Right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If anyone says he has no sin, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So John is not saying that we overcome means you'll never sin again. But this, we are not beaten all day every day. We are not beaten by sin all day, every day. There is always a measure of victory in the life of the Christian. Even if that measure of victory is your repentance when you've sinned. Because your repentance is not of you. It's God working in you. That's victory. Even if that's all the victory that you had for the day is that you recognized your sin and you repented. You asked for forgiveness, and now you're marking a new path. You might abstain from that sin. That in of itself is victory. We are not beaten down all day, every day by sin. We're not sinless, but we do indeed overcome. But I want to highlight something here. Uh, I love this. John declares our victory even as the battle rages on. Right? We overcome. We are now presently overcoming the world, is what John says. He uses it in a few different tenses, uh, from what I understand. I don't know Greek well, but that's what my commentary said uh, across the board, so I think that's pretty sound. Uh, He's saying it's used in a few different tenses to say that we have overcome, we are now presently overcoming the world, right? He declares our victory now, even as the battle rages on. And John said the same thing earlier in the letter. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, he says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John puts it in the past tense in chapter 2. You have overcome the devil already. Though you're in the midst of the fight, you have already overcome sin. You have already overcome temptation. Right, so though our conquering implies a daily fight with sin, it also points us to the truth that we are eternally victorious already in Christ. 
right? And this is our hope in the daily battle. This is what encourages us to keep fighting that truth that we've already won. But why do we overcome? Why do we overcome? Well, again, that first line, I know we're still only in the first line of this text, says everyone born of God overcomes. Why do we overcome? Let's highlight that, born of God. John ties our overcoming the world directly to the new birth. Right, we talk about the new birth at length, so I won't, I won't labor the point. But in God causing us to be born again, he has given us a new nature. Again, like I said, our sin nature is still, it's mortally wounded, but it is still there. But we've been given a new nature. God has given us the gift of faith and has set us free from our former slavery to sin. And the Holy Spirit now dwells in us continually. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? So John says, our overcoming, this is the why we overcome. It's directly tied to the new birth. And let me try just three points why this new nature is the reason we overcome. First is this. The new nature is the only thing that can fight the world. Right? This is why we overcome. We've been born again, and the new nature given to us is the only thing that can fight the world. As I said in the introduction, the unconverted person, the unregenerate person, cannot even begin to fight sin. The person who's not been converted to Christ cannot even begin to resist temptation in a true sense, because they are still in the flesh. And what I mean by that is someone may reform their life a little bit, but they're going to exchange one sin for another. Right? They're not actually going to do away with that sin in its entirety, but more often than not, they're going to exchange one sin for another. The unconverted person has no real desire to, in the words of the Apostle Paul, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right? So without the new birth, without this new nature from God, you are still a part of the world, and you will not fight what you're a part of. You will not fight what you're a part of. So the new nature is absolutely essential in our overcoming. Two, it is only by virtue of the new nature that we have that we can continue the fight. Right? So again, this is the why we overcome. It's only by the new nature that we continue to fight. All human effort will give up. All human effort will tire out. We need something supernatural if we're going to day in and day out fight sin. In a spiritual battle, you will not be able to make it on your own will. You need help from God, and it's the new nature that continues that fight. Like I said a minute ago, a person can try to reform their life externally, but the heart hasn't changed. So the actions are just, go aren't, they're just going to revert over time or, or go on to another sin. Right? So apart from the aid of the Holy Spirit working in us through that new nature, it is only a matter of time before someone plunges headlong into the sin that they love because they're trying to work in their own strength. So the new nature keeps us fighting. The, the new nature will not permit us to rest in our sin. And thirdly, this is beautiful. The new nature has been born to conquer. The new nature has been born to conquer. It has been born in us from God, by God, to rule over our sinful nature. It's 
been given to us to rule over our sinful nature. We, we have been born again. This new nature has been born to give us desires greater than the temptations of the world. You know, so again, make no mistake, your old sinful nature has not been... It's still there. I, I, I want to make a distinction. Or not a distinction, just clarify something. Your sinful nature has not been made a little bit better. Right? Again, we've been given a, a, a new nature that's born to conquer the old one. Your sinful nature has not been changed to be a little bit better. You have received a totally new nature that gives the victory. More than that, and I'm stealing this from Charles Spurgeon, this nature is from God who cannot be defeated. It is a blasphemous thought that the Holy Spirit within us can be conquered by sin. So I know that there's three things you might say, well, that's not really like anything for me to do. You're just kind of giving me information about the new nature, uh, or the new birth. Hear me on this. You need to own these truths if you're a Christian. You need to own these truths about who you are since God caused you to be born again. These truths that you've been given a victorious nature. Right? So stop waking up and thinking, it's the same old struggles today. I'm not ever going to kill this particular sin. Stop thinking that on a daily basis. That is a lie from hell. This new nature has been born in you to conquer. The Spirit of God lives within you. Own these things. Right? God tells us what we are and then says, now go be them. Own these truths about the new nature. Cooperate with God's grace in you and you will be victorious over the sin in your life. That's the promise we have from God. You are an overcomer. But we've seen the why. All right, so the why we overcome is the new birth, the new nature. But how do we overcome? Right? This is more practical. How do we overcome? The rest of verse 4 and verse 5. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So his answer, how do we overcome, is our faith, is the how we overcome. But John doesn't mean faith in the modern sense. I have faith in something, right, like Alcoholics Anonymous. Just believe in some kind of higher power. Put your faith in something, you'll overcome the world. That's not what John's saying. Verse 5 tells us that it is specifically faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God that he's implying here. That's the faith he's talking about. And as we, as we said last week, keep in mind we're talking about John's Jesus. Right? right? Not the Jesus of Islam, not the Jesus of Mormonism, not the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses, not the liberal Jesus, but the Jesus that John talks about, the biblical Jesus. Faith in all of who he is. The summary of our faith. So we could rephrase it this way. By our continued trust in the Lord Jesus as the Son of God and Messiah, we conquer. We overcome sin. But what is it about faith in Christ that grants us victory. Right? I think that it's by faith in Christ that we see eternal truths that focus us. And also by faith that we receive the power and assurance of full victory. Right? So faith is our weapon in this war. I have a few points for how faith is our weapon. How faith causes us to overcome. Right? How faith is applied in our lives that gives us victory over our sin. And the first is this. This is very simple. These are all very, very, very simple. We believe in Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus is God. 
most basic truth of the Christian faith. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Think about that for a minute. The sovereign of the universe, the Lord, Yahweh, right? Jesus is the divine one. And by believing that Jesus is our Lord and God, we maintain the freedom to obey him no matter what tries to pull us away. If we're really radically convinced of the truth that Jesus is God, nothing will be able to pull us away from faithfulness to him. Right? Like, he is our master. We have a higher master than the world. We have a higher master than our own desires. Which is to say this, we are above the authority of the world. We know that we have a greater obligation to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, but instead slaves to Christ. Our Jesus is higher. We believe in Him. We follow Him alone because there is no other God. None is higher than Him. If we really keep that in our heads, if we really believe that, nothing can draw us away. Right? It's like a messenger for a king. Right, a messenger for a king goes into a foreign country. Right? And the people in that country are trying to convince this messenger to abandon his king and to serve another. But the emissary, the messenger from the, from the king says, I know to whom I belong. Your king is not my king. I know who I belong to. In the same way, we are sojourners here in this world of sin and rebellion against God. We have a king. And if we really believe that, then we will serve that king and not bow the knee to another, whether it be internally or externally. Another is by faith in Christ, we have daily communion with God. By faith in Christ, we have daily communion with God. And we have this communion with God through the means of grace given to us by God. And when I say means of grace, I'm talking about being in the scriptures daily, taking time to be in prayer, communicating with our God, reading the word, seeing what he says back, right? Our corporate worship, what we're doing now, the public ministry of the word, receiving the Lord's Supper, all of those things and, and, and things like them, those means of grace by God. Through those means of grace, we have communion with God. And in all of those things, we are regularly feeding on Christ, and as we feed on Christ through the means of grace, that daily communion with God sanctifies us. It shows us our sin. It points us to the truth. It lets us see what actually matters. And it strengthens us for the fight. Read the whole Armor of God passage in Ephesians and you'll see what I'm talking about. The means of grace strengthen us for the fight. That we would be victorious. Third, by faith in Christ, we believe in the reward that awaits the Christian. This is a strong motivation for us. We believe in the reward that awaits the Christian through faith in Christ. And that reward is eternity with our God. If you never think about heaven, if you never think about the reward that's coming to you, you are sincerely like missing out on a great, great thing that strengthens us for overcoming our sin. If you never think on eternity, you're missing a, a, a great grace from God 
that strengthens us for the fight. I want to read about eight verses to you from Revelation chapter two and verse three. Don't or chapter two and chapter three. Don't worry about trying to follow me there. We're talking about conquering. We're talking about overcoming. This is what Jesus says to the seven churches that that that, that he speaks to. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and out of my own, in my own new name. And last, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the reward that awaits the Christian. By faith, we know that this is ours. And this promise of reward for those who remain faithful to our God fuels us and strengthens us for the fight. Again, another analogy. It's like a soldier who knows that when he comes home from the war, though the war is awful and he wants to tuck tail and run and he, sometimes he just doesn't want to fight anymore and, he's, and he just says, I just wish someone would run me through and this would be over with. But he knows that when he comes home, he comes home to the king's palace and he'll never be hungry, he'll be loved, he'll never be hurt, he never has to fight again and he will reign with that king. That strengthens him for the fight causes him to pick his sword back up because of the reward awaiting him when he gets home. Compared to this reward awaiting the Christian, every vain, sinful pleasure the world can offer us is a mere trinket to be put on a shelf and never thought of again. Paul says he considers no suffering in this world, nothing to be comparable to what awaits us. Also, by faith, we have an advocate in our Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost all those who draw near to him since he always lives to make intercession for us. We have an advocate by faith that we might overcome. Consider this, Christian, if you're in the midst of a fighting sin, the Lord Jesus daily at all times is interceding on your behalf, praying for you that you would conquer. And our great hope in that is we know that the Father always hears the prayers of the Son. Christ prays perfectly. And it's always God's will for us that we would be sanctified. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, I believe, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So knowing that the eternal Son of God intercedes on our behalf for our sanctification, we know that we have strength there. This is our confidence. By faith, we know we are not fighting alone. We have the only mediator interceding for our victory over sin in the world. And then lastly, by faith in Jesus... This is the biggest one. That's why I saved it. By faith in Jesus, we have been united with him. We have been united with Christ by faith. Whatever the Son has, 
is ours. Whatever is true of Christ is true of us. And Christ has the victory over the world. John 16, says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Whatever is Christ's is ours. So the victory of Christ over the world, over sin, over Satan, over death, the victory of Christ is our victory. This victory that we have through union with Christ is an eternal, decisive victory that no one can take from us. You will not be beaten. Sin, Satan, and death will not win. The world will not win because Christ has not been defeated. This is our truest victory given to us graciously by the Lord Jesus. And this not only gives us confidence for eternity, right? Although it does. I know that Christ has secured my salvation. It gives us confidence for eternity, but not only that. It also gives us the strength to even now keep waging war on the world. To keep waging war on our sin. Knowing we've been united with Christ in his victory we know that we need only stand behind this conquering king. We need only stand faithfully behind this king who has already won for me. We need to keep persevering by his grace because victory is ours because he has won. Now I have two simple points of application for you in light of these truths. And the first one is this. Keep fighting. Please. You know, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but nevertheless, your soul is at stake. The author of Hebrews says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That is a real warning to us. Keep fighting. Never stop. Never give up. Always keep fighting your sin. The Christian life is a life of war. Let this sentence stick in your head. Enter the kingdom of God with some scars. Fight your sin. Wage the good warfare like Paul says to Timothy. Leave no provision for the flesh. Seek to kill even the smallest of sins. As Charles Spurgeon said, if it's such a small sin, why don't you let go of it? Even the smallest of sins. Leave no quarter for the enemy. And know that you can win over your sin. John says, whoever has been born of God overcomes. If you've repented of your sin and you trust the Lord Jesus, you can win. You do not have to be mired down in sin. You are an overcomer. You have been given a victorious nature. The Holy Spirit is within you. By faith, we fight and win. And last, when you grow weary of the fight, and you will, you will grow weary of the fight, or when you feel defeated, or when you lost that battle with sin for the day, I want you to know in your heart that the Lord Jesus Christ has already won the war for you. As you fight, know that His victory is your victory. He has won in your place. And victory has been granted to all those who have laid hold of Christ by faith. 
I'll leave you with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. If you can't tell, he is my favorite preacher. Charles Spurgeon said this, Behold your conflict, born to battle, but behold your triumph, bound to conquer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for this beautiful hope that we have that we are conquerors, that we need not be mired down in sin, that indeed we can win over our sin. We can indeed win over our flesh. We can withstand temptation from the world. We are victorious. God, give us the spirit of warriors. Help us to get a mentality that we're soldiers and that we won't be defeated. Make us into a holy people. That we wouldn't view your commandments as burdensome because we know the victory is ours. We know that we've been given the ability to follow you. God, we know we will not do so perfectly, but nevertheless, we can do so sincerely and we can indeed gain the victory. Help us to honor you as holy by living holy lives. But God, as we are always working and fighting, let us always be resting in the complete completed work of Christ on our behalf, securing our salvation, giving us the victory. We know that we are safe and secure in him. And let that truth give us gratitude that we would fight all the harder knowing that we are saved. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.